0: In our evening worship, we've been studying the types of the Old Testament. And we began by looking at Adam as the type of Jesus, the federal head of a race, one who acts for others. And then we studied the ark, the type of the one place to hide when the wrath of God is poured out. Then we saw as our third type of Christ, the saga of Abraham and his son Isaac. Tonight, we're going to look at a fourth type... Joseph, the rejected kinsman and future savior. One of the things that will amaze you, or at least should amaze you, is that some of these types that I've already mentioned and some that we'll look at in weeks to come have only one or two points of correspondence. But as we'll see tonight, Joseph and Jesus have dozens and dozens of points of identity with each other. For those of you who are note takers, you will wear your hand out tonight. Joseph, of course, is a huge presence in the Old Testament. His life sprawls across the Old Testament, taking up 14 chapters. And we have more spoken words from Joseph than almost any other Old Testament person. He's a man of outstanding integrity and godliness, a man who never complained and never compromised. And from studying the life of Joseph, you can learn how to overcome envy, Learn the spiritual discipline of faith and how to trust God even in the darkest days. Learn how to face adversity. Learn how to resist temptation. Learn how to plan for the future. Learn how to forgive those who've wronged you. Learn how to recognize the sovereignty of God even in the wrongs done to you by others. Adversity didn't harden him. It softened him. Prosperity didn't ruin him. He was the same man in public as he was in private. But I dare say, after studying and restudying the life of Joseph, the chief benefit of a study of Joseph is to see what a clear type of Christ he is. How he's a a road sign, a pointer saying, look, there's one coming who's like me, but so much more. Let me remind you about types. Types are prophetic. They're pointing towards something in the New Covenant. Types are divinely designed. They're not accidents. One of the things I hope that you don't do tonight is I hope after we look at 30 points of correspondence between Joseph and Jesus. Yes, I said that right. After we look at that, some of you are going to be tempted to say, well, what a big coincidence that is. My friends, what we're going to see is none of these are accident. They're an integral part of the history of redemption. It's the Lord's sovereign rule of history and his infinitely exact knowledge of the future that makes typology possible. The sovereign Lord knows what is to come, what person and what events are at the center of human history. And so the Lord is able to weave into history all manner of anticipations to teach his people long before events come to pass. With a true biblical type, such as Adam or the ark or Abraham and Isaac, as we've seen, there's always a clear point of resemblance between the type and its fulfillment, the anti-type. No reaching or forcing this needs to be done in order to be seen. Now, let me just remind you of something you may or may not know. One of the great dilemmas of contemporary Jewish scholarship is the debate over the Messiah. What will he be like? Of course, Judaism has been waiting for the Messiah for 2,000 years not having believed that Jesus of Nazareth was him. And there's a raging scholarly debate. There are two camps in Judaic scholarship. One camp, known as the Messiah Ben David camp, believes that the Messiah will be a powerful, conquering king like David. The other camp, Messiah Ben Joseph, believes that the Messiah will be like Joseph, a suffering servant. And what we will see tonight in a brief survey of the parallels of the life of Joseph is that he is a devastatingly accurate type of Christ, both in his humiliation and his exaltation. We will see Joseph the favorite son, Joseph the prisoner, Joseph the ruler, Joseph the provider, Joseph the forgiving comforter, and in each case, how he directly points to the greater fulfillment the greater Joseph, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray and ask the Lord for help now. Gracious God, we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. And so now make us hungry for this heavenly food, that it may nourish us tonight in the ways of eternal life, we pray through Jesus Christ, the bread of heaven. Amen. I want you to listen very carefully. As I said a moment ago, I want to draw 30 points of correspondence between Joseph and the greater Joseph, the fulfillment, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what our point is, is we're seeing the types of the Old Testament, how the Lord embedded history with these forward-pointing signs, but there's never a more brightly lit sign, never a more obvious type in the Old Testament than that of Joseph. Now, to say that, I need to back that up. And so what I want to do is I want to walk you through 30 points of correspondence between Joseph and Jesus. The first is, both were a product of a miraculous birth. Joseph's parents were Jacob, who was 90 years old when he was born, and Rachel, his mother, who was barren. Of course, the birth of the Lord Jesus was even more miraculous. It was a virgin birth. We're told in Genesis chapter 30 about the birth of Joseph. God remembered Rachel and God gave heed to her and opened her womb. So she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. Is viewed as a, an astounding thing at that time. But then came the birth that that birth was pointing towards. The one in Matthew one eighteen, when the greater Joseph was born. We are told the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph... Before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. A second point of correspondence between these two. Both Joseph and Jesus spoke truth in exposing sinful behavior of others, knowing that they would be hated and ostracized for it. A moment ago, Pastor Anderson just read in Genesis 37 these words. Joseph, when he was 17 years of age, was pasturing the flock with his brothers, and Joseph brought back a bad report about them to their father. But that's nothing compared to what happened when Jesus exposed the sinful behavior of others. We're told in Matthew 15, Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you not know that the Pharisees have been offended by you? And we're told later in Luke 20, The scribes and the chief priests tried to lay hands on him that very hour, and they feared the people. For they understand that Jesus was speaking against them. A third point of correspondence. Both Joseph and Jesus were shepherds. It's interesting that all the great types, the men who are typological, real historical figures, but types of Christ in the Old Testament, almost all of them, Joseph, David, Moses, all were shepherds. Preparing God's people for what the Messiah would be. We're told, again, in Genesis 37, Joseph, when 17 years of age, was pasturing the flock. But that's nothing compared to the sort of shepherd our Lord Jesus is, who says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. A fourth point of correspondence. Both Joseph and Jesus were beloved sons of loving fathers. We're told in Genesis 37, 3, Israel loved Joseph more than all his sons. But that's nothing compared to the love of the father for Jesus. When we are told by his voice thundering out of heaven in Matthew chapter 3, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. A fifth point of correspondence. Now, any of these, all by themselves, could, could constitute a legitimate type, but what can we say when all of them begin to heap up and accumulate 5, 10, 15, 20, 30? And by the way, I had to engage in selective editing because there are easily 30 more. A fifth point of correspondence. Both Joseph and Jesus were hated by their kinsmen without a cause. We just read in Genesis 37.4, His brothers saw that his father loved him more than all his brothers, so they hated him. But this was nothing compared to the derision and hatred that was expressed towards Jesus. We are told in John 15.25, They hated him to fulfill the word that was written in their law. They hated me without a cause. Do you notice that these two men, Joseph and Jesus, the more you lay them side by side... They begin to be almost an exact parallel reflection of one another. A sixth point of correspondence: both were hated specifically for telling the truth and prophesying about it. In Joseph, in Genesis thirty-seven five, we just read Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. But once again, this is nothing compared to the hatred. Addressed towards Jesus, we read in John 7, verse 7, The world hates me because I testify of it that its deeds are evil. A seventh point of correspondence, Pastor Anderson just read to you in Genesis 37, Both Joseph and Jesus foretold, and oh how men hated both of them for this, foretold of their exalted position as ruler. We read in, Joseph, in Genesis 37, Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him. He said to them, Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaves stood up and stood erect. And behold, your sheaves gathered round and bowed down to me. His brother said, Are you actually going to reign over us? Do you think you'll rule over us? But as much as his brothers hated him for that pu- future prophecy of rule... That was nothing compared to the hatred of Jesus' compatriots when he told them these words in Matthew 24. The sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. You will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with power and glory, sending forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds. Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man Sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Oh, how men gnashed their teeth when Jesus told them he would rule all of them. An eighth point of correspondence. Both were persecuted out of jealousy. We're told in Genesis 37 verse 11, his brothers were jealous of him. The patriarchs, and again in Acts chapter 7, the patriarchs became jealous of Joseph and sold him into Egypt. It's the exact same thing with Jesus, the greater Joseph. We're told in Matthew 27 Pilate knew that because of jealousy and envy, the Jews had handed him over. A ninth point of correspondence. And I hope by this point you're starting to say, I'm seeing it. I get it. I think there may be some correspondence between these two men. I think that this may be more than a coincidence. I think that God may have ordained the life of Joseph to be a forward-pointing sign towards a greater Joseph. A ninth point of correspondence. Both willingly went at a father's request on a mission of mercy. Now, we just read in Genesis 13 where Jacob, or Israel, said to Joseph, Your brothers are pasturing the flock in Shechem. I'm sending you to them. And Joseph said these words. I will go to them, because his father sent him. His father was concerned about them. But that's nothing like the mission of mercy that the greater Joseph came upon. Jesus writes about this in John chapter 8. He says, if God were your father, you'd love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from God. I've not come on my own initiative, but he sent me. And what Joseph was doing, he was setting a pattern for us of a beloved son obeying a beloved father and going to have mercy upon those who are in harm's way. In obedience to his father's command, a ready son goes searching for his wayward brethren. Don't you see the correspondence? Joseph leaves the comfort of home and of a father to find wicked men. Just so the greater Joseph left the heavenly halls, sent by the father to seek us. But here's where the correspondence breaks down. The lesser Joseph did not know what awaited him when he went to find his brothers. But the greater Joseph knew exactly what awaited him. Yet he came anyway. He knew every indignity and suffering and humiliation ahead of him. Yet he came anyway on his mission of mercy. A tenth point of correspondence. Both were plotted against by those closest to him. Listen to what Joseph's brothers say about him. Listen to their plotting in Genesis 37. Come, let us kill him, and then throw him into one of the pits. And then we will say to our father, a wild beast devoured him. Then we will see what becomes of his dreams. But this was nothing compared to the plots against Jesus. By those closest to him. We read in Matthew 26, by fellow Israelites, they plotted together to seize Jesus by stealth and to kill him. And then one who was in Jesus' inner circle, Judas, said in his plotting in Matthew 26, what will you give me to betray him to you? An eleventh point of correspondence. Now notice these these points of typology, they extend down to the, the smallest and most minute Aspects of life. Both were stripped of their robe. Joseph, we just read in Genesis 37, 23, when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his tunic. Again, a forward-pointing sign. We read in John 19, around the cross, the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garment off him, to each soldier apart also his tunic. His tunic was without seam, woven from the top in one Peace. A twelfth point of identification. Both Joseph and the greater Joseph were sold and betrayed for a few pieces of silver. Now, just so you'll know what inflation does, Judah offered to sell Joseph for 20 pieces of silver. Judah in Greek is Judas, who sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. The price of a slave had gone up between Joseph and Jesus. Remember what Judah said to his brothers in Genesis 37. What profit is it for us to kill our brother and cover up his blood? Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. Some Midianite traders passed by. They pulled him up and lifted Joseph out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. The price had gone up in the intervening hundreds of years. And so Judah, Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. Are the identification starting to get clear now that Joseph is a type? And now listen to this staggering correspondence. Both... The lesser Joseph and the greater Joseph, both the type and the anti-type, were taken to Egypt in their youth after escaping death. We read of Joseph in Genesis 37, 28. The, The Midianite traders, after buying him, they took Joseph to Egypt. But what are we told about the greater Joseph, the Lord Jesus? Under Herod's rule, we read, So his parents took the child and his mother, while it was still night, and went to Egypt. It's almost as though God had had planned and said everything that happened to Joseph must be fulfilled and happened to the greater Joseph, to the Lord Jesus. A 14th point of correspondence. Both became a servant. When Joseph comes to Egypt, we read of him in Genesis 39. Joseph had been taken down to Egypt and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, The captain of the bodyguard bought him, he's a slave, from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man. He served in the house of his master, an Egyptian. Of course, that's the perfect setup for the Lord Jesus, who told his disciples that he did not come to be served, but to be a servant, and to give his life a ransom for many. Paul will say this of Jesus in Philippians 2 Jesus emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant. Perhaps the greatest point of correspondence, the one that we should rejoice the most at tonight, is the 15th. Both were tempted the lesser Joseph, the type, and the greater Joseph, the antitype. Both were tempted and yet steadfastly refused to sin. Think of the original Joseph's temptation. It comes in Joseph's youth. He's 17, 18, 19 at the most. His hormones are raging. This is the season of life when most men are liable to be overcome by sexual temptation. And this temptation that was set before him was repeated and frequent day after day. His master's wife, Mrs. Potiphar, would put on perfume, batter eyelashes, and urge Joseph to give in to her seduction. And this temptation came to him while he was far away from home, far away from all restraining influences of his parents. He was like the college student who's in the dorm with nobody to tell him what time to come in. Or the businessman 500 miles away in a town where nobody knows him. By the way, that's when you find out a person's view of God. That's when you find out who they really are. Do they believe God is omnipresent in every place, watching or not? We read this of Joseph's Temptation. Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. His master's wife looked with desire at him and said, Come, lie with me. He refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house, and he's put all that he owns in my charge. There's no one greater in his house than I, and he's withheld nothing from me except for you, because you're his wife. So how could I do this great evil... And sin against God. She spoke to Joseph day after day. He didn't listen to her to lie beside her or be with her. It happened that one day he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the household were there inside. She caught him by the garment and said, now lie with me. He left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. That's his refusal to be drawn down by temptation. But that, once again, is only the slightest, dimmest, faintest picture of the greater Joseph. Not facing a middle-aged woman, but facing the tempter. We read, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he would fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he became hungry. The tempter. Again, this is not just a a middle-aged woman. This is the tempter. Came and said to him, If you're the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. He answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The devil then took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it's written, He'll command his angels concerning you and on their hands, they'll bear you up so that you'll not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said, on the other hand, it's written, you shall not put the Lord, your God to the test. A third time, the devil took him to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. And he said to to him, all these things I will give to you if you will but fall down and worship me. The greater Joseph said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it's written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. This great point of correspondence, both refused temptation that was right in their face. A 16th point of correspondence. Both were falsely accused. We read of Potiphar's wife, as soon as Joseph resisted her temptation, she called to the men of the household and said, He has brought in a Hebrew to make sport of us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I screamed. But this is nothing like the false testimony that was accumulated against the perfect, sinless, holy Jesus, who we read, the chief priest and the whole council kept trying to find false testimony against Jesus so they might put him to death. But they could not find any, even though many false witnesses came forward. The 17th point of correspondence. Both were then confined in custody. We read of Joseph in Genesis 37. His brothers took him and threw him in a pit. The pit was empty without any water in it. They didn't have a jail in the wilderness, so they dug one, made a jail for him. But we read the same of the greater Joseph. The Roman cohort and the commander and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. An 18th point of correspondence. And think of the humiliation. First of all, both were sentenced with two criminals next to them. In Genesis chapter 40, when Joseph is thrown in prison, we read... The cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was furious with these two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. So he put them in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard, in the jail, the same place where Joseph was in prison. And this is exactly like Jesus. We read these words in Luke 23. Two others also who were criminals were led away to be put to death with Jesus. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. Do you notice now, as we walk systematically through correspondence by correspondence, how every single detail of Joseph's life is pointing forward to Jesus, saying, you'll see this again, but in a much greater, richer, fuller way. A 19th point of correspondence. Both were exalted after their, after their suffering. Joseph, if you know anything about Old Testament chronology, served 13 years as a servant and then a prisoner. 13 years. From the age of 17 until the age of 30. Never complaining. But then after his suffering, he was exalted. Listen to these ultimate words of exaltation from Pharaoh. In Genesis 41, Pharaoh turns to him, recognizing his great wisdom, and he says, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. He's exalted after suffering. But, my friends, that's nothing. Joseph was exalted after, after suffering, and he served for a few decades as the prime minister of Egypt. But that's nothing compared to the exaltation of the greater Joseph. So much so that we're told in Philippians 2... God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, and every knee will bow to him. A twentieth point of correspondence. Both receive the homage of all, and every knee bows to them. Pharaoh tells all of Egypt, that he is that Joseph is to ride in the second chariot in Genesis 41. And as Joseph goes down the main street, we read in Genesis 41, everyone proclaims his name and cries out, Bow the knee! What a heady, glorious thing for Joseph who'd been a slave and then a prisoner. But once, once again, that's nothing compared to this homage. When we read in Philippians 2.10, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Not just citizens of Egypt. Every knee will bow. Those who are in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. What you saw as that second chariot of Joseph went down Main Street in the capital of Egypt it was a tiny down payment of what you see when Christ rides in majesty. And everyone who's ever lived, the tens of billions of persons... All roar out, Jesus is Lord. A 21st point of correspondence. Everyone must go to the lesser Joseph for bread, just as they must go to the greater Joseph for bread. We read in Genesis 41, when famine was spread over all the face of the earth, and Joseph opened all the storehouses, and he sold to the Egyptians, and the famine was severe in Egypt. And then the people of all the earth came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe in all the earth, we read. This is a down payment. It's a type. It's a picture of the one who would say, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger when everybody in the world who wishes to be filled must come and feed on Christ who is the bread of life. A 22nd point of correspondence. Both, both to their humiliation, both are unrecognized by their own. When Joseph's brothers came after decades to Egypt trying to buy bread, and they came into his throne room, didn't know it, we read that Joseph recognized his brothers in Genesis 42, but they did not recognize him. They didn't know that they were in the midst of their brother, who was also the prime minister the same thing is said of Jesus the greater joseph we read in john 1 11 he came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him and in luke 24 their eyes were prevented from recognizing him a 23rd point of correspondence both of their betrayers because they both were certainly betrayed felt deep remorse the brothers of joseph said to one another in genesis 42 Truly, we are guilty concerning our brother, because we saw the distress of his soul when he pleaded with us, yet we would not listen, therefore this distress has come upon us. And they were filled with remorse, even a form of repentance. The exact same thing happened to the one who was in Jesus' inner circle, who would betrayed him, Judas. We read Judas, when he had betrayed him, saw that Jesus had been condemned, and he felt remorse and even returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. The 24th point of correspondence, both forgave those who wronged them. In Genesis chapter 45, after his brothers come and confess their wronging of him, Joseph said to his brothers, please come closer. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. He fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. He kissed all his brothers and wept on them. This was a demonstration of his forgiveness of them, of not bearing any ill will or holding grudges. But once again, this is nothing. Because when the greater Joseph is hanging on the cross, nails piercing the nerve endings in his hands and his ankles, undergoing every sort of indignity, Looked upon those hate filled, rage filled faces around the cross and said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Joseph's forgiveness of his brothers, awful as their deeds to him were, is just a dim, faint picture of the forgiving, gracious work of Jesus. A 25th point of correspondence. Joseph and the greater Joseph both suffered according to the predetermined plan of God. One of the glorious things about Joseph is he he has a, a better view of God's providence and his sovereignty than you and I ever can. Listen to what he says in Genesis 45 to his brothers. God sent me before you to preserve life. That's how he views his brothers betraying him and selling him into bondage. He said, it was God who sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these years, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God sent me before you to preserve a remnant in the earth, and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Joseph saw what had happened as the sovereign eternal decree of God. The exact same thing has happened as stated about the suffering of Christ. On the day of Pentecost, Peter said in Acts 2, this man Jesus was delivered by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God into the hands of godless men. Neither men thought that they were having a run of bad luck. Both men saw what was happening to them as the sovereign plan of God. A 26th point of correspondence. Both were, and now we come to the gospel, both were innocent men who suffered for guilty brethren. Do you hear that? That's the glory of the gospel. That's substitutionary atonement. That is, is what our, our deepest trust is in, is that divine transaction. Our trust is in an innocent man who suffered for guilty brethren. Genesis chapter 50. Israel says, Please forgive, I beg you, the transgressions of your brothers and their sins, for they did you wrong. And please forgive the transgressions of the servant of The God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. He forgave them. He suffered as the innocent for the guilty. But this is exactly what Isaiah said about the greater Joseph when he wrote, Our griefs he himself bore. Our sorrows he carried. We ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. A 27th point of correspondence. Both began their public ministry when they were exactly 30 years old. We read in Genesis chapter 41, Joseph was 30 when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. In other words, to begin his public ministry as the prime minister. And Luke tells us in Luke 3, Jesus himself began his ministry at the age of 30. A 28th point of correspondence. Both were noteworthy by all their peers for their astounding wisdom. Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown you all of this, there is no one as wise as you. Even pagans could recognize brilliant wisdom. But that's nothing compared to the greater Joseph. Because we are told of the greater Joseph in Colossians 2. In Christ are hidden all the treasures. Of wisdom and knowledge. 29th point of correspondence. Both were filled with the Holy Spirit. Pharaoh said to his servants in Genesis 41. Can we ever find a man like this? A man in whom is the Spirit of God? But we're told of Jesus the greater Joseph. God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power. A final point, and again, we could multiply this at least by two and produce 60 points of typological correspondence. But 30th, both wept over their beloved kinsmen. When Joseph's brothers come to see him from Genesis 42 all the way through Genesis 50, it's that section of Joseph's life that many call the weeping section because it seems that all that Joseph does is weep. It's mentioned seven times that he weeps over his brothers. So tender-hearted is he. But my friend, instead of just weeping over 11 others, we read of Jesus in Luke 19 that on that Palm Sunday, as he drew near and came to the crest of the hill to enter into Jerusalem, he stopped. And he looked down at that beloved city. And we're told he wept over Jerusalem filled with unbelieving, wicked kinsmen. Joseph was a type, a foreshadowing, a a picture of Christ. The parallels are so striking and so dramatic and so many, they leap leap off the page. Joseph is a, a powerful, prophetic testimony of Christ in the Old Testament over 1,500 years in advance well, we have identified 30 points of correspondence. There's so many more. But this brief exercise should deepen your trust in the entire Bible so that you see the unity between the Old and New Testament. That what God was up to in Jesus, he had planned before the foundation of the world, and he embedded all of history with all these people, events, and institutions that all pointed towards his beloved son. No wonder Jesus said, Scripture cannot be broken. Let's pray together. Our Father, we have profound gratitude for the richness of your word. We ask that by your Holy Spirit you would be pleased that you would continue to reveal more and more truth to us and show us the riches of Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.